Get everybody to grab your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 4 this morning. Mark chapter 4. Let's bring this up to something slightly more than a five-year-old's height. Mark chapter 4 this morning. Uh, this has been a series with the exception of last week, or with the intent to be a series, uh, on real Christianity. <clears throat> this morning, the lesson is somewhat tied to the book that I had mentioned a week or so ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whatever it's been. But uh, it's only loosely tied. I read through the lesson and I'm like, I don't like that. And I threw it away. <laughs> I didn't throw the book away. I still got the book, but I threw the lesson away. I'm like, I do not like that at all. And so the lesson title is the same. So we'll stick with that this morning. The lesson's title this morning is Real Jesus. The Real Jesus. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse number 35. The Bible says, In the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, he took them, they took him, even as he was, in the ship, and there they also with, and there, I can't read, and there were also with him other little ships, and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for an opportunity around your word. Would you help us this morning to see the real Jesus? Help us to understand him, Lord. Father, you are so misunderstood in this world as God the Father and God the Son. And Lord, we ask you, Father, this morning that there would be some clarity for your children. Help us to understand who you are and what you've done. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I thought about this, we need to understand this particular passage. I, I have preached out of this passage before, back in 2016, with the same idea. Verse number 36 uses a phrase that is somewhat unique in Scripture. The Bible says right there toward the middle of the verse, they took him even as he was. You know, one of the things about Jesus is Jesus is not going to quote unquote customize himself for you. Jesus is who Jesus is. He is unchanging. Scripture tells us in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our Jesus Christ, the Savior that loved us enough to die for us, he's not changing for our benefit. He's not changing for anybody's benefit. He is the Holy Son of God. And as I thought about this this week and I thought about the lesson, uh, there are a lot of different ways it could have gone. I could have, I could have followed the lesson outline in the book, but I, I didn't believe that was what would help us this morning. The problem is the world has a different view of Jesus. You know, they, they've got this idea that he's a man just like we are. 
Yes, he was born of a woman, born of a virgin in Scripture. We understand that. And so he came into the world essentially the same way that we did. But there is a marked difference between he and us. If we look at the world's view of him, often if we look at the movies and portrayals that we see in filmography, the portrayals often portray Jesus as an effeminate individual that really had no moral standing at all. And some of the, some of the movies that were made back in the day, 1988 was one that caused me a great deal of concern. It was The Last Temptation of Christ. That, honestly, is not an accurate portrayal of Jesus. Yes, the Bible does say he was tempted in all points like as we are, and yet without sin. But that last phrase is the key. It was without sin. He may have faced those temptations, but the portrayal in the movie just put it completely off base. And there's never been a single movie that I am aware of that really portrays Jesus in the best light. He is often portrayed as some kind of justification for relics and those kinds of things. And for those of you that are more familiar with the Catholic faith, you understand what I mean by that. There are different portrayals of him and none of them are right. And so this morning, if we are going to see who Jesus is, we must see him just like the disciples did. We must accept him just like the disciples did as he was, as he is today. If Jesus is unchanging, what should we be able to see about him? You know, the world's idea of Jesus is this long-haired hippie guy, and that's not it at all. The first thing I want to point out to you is, first of all, what Jesus is not. He is not a Nazarite. When we see this portrayal of Jesus with long hair, the main justification for it in the world's eyes is they have a misunderstanding between the word Nazarene and Nazarite. A Nazarene in Scripture is a person from the city of Nazareth. A Nazarite is a person who, in the Old Testament instance, decided to make a vow to God, and that vow is summed up very well in Numbers chapter 6. In Numbers chapter 6, it goes into a great amount of detail as to what a person who has made a Nazarite vow can and cannot do. They're not allowed to attend a funeral. They're not allowed to come near the dead. They're not allowed to partake of the fruit of the vine, whether that be the fruit itself or the juice that's produced from it. There were a lot of different things. And one of the main comments in that passage of Scripture was that no razor was to come to their head. You can look at me this morning and you can tell I have not taken a Nazarite vow. That is the whole point of a Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow is to not shave your head. It does not mean he couldn't have a haircut. It simply means that he could not shave or pole his head in the scriptural term that's used. And so we need to understand that Jesus is not like the pictures that we see. I've only ever seen one picture that I even remotely liked, and it's often called the laughing Jesus. You know, that, that might be the closest representation of who Jesus really is, to be quite honest with you. As we look at this this morning, we must understand the scriptural view of who Jesus is. John chapter 1, and I would ask that if you would be so kind to turn with me to these passages. There are not a great many of them, but John chapter 1, verse number 29. We see this first description from John the Baptist. 
And in this passage of Scripture, it says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So if we're going to get an idea of just who Jesus really is, the first thing that we must understand is that He is perfect. He is a perfect, sinless Son of God. When we look at this passage and we think of what John is describing Jesus is, John is very aware of what he is saying. These are not just empty words. He is referring to Jesus back to the example that was set in the book of Exodus. We read through the book of Exodus and we read about the plagues that God sent on the nation of Egypt. And in the process of that, they came to the final, the final plague. And God said that it would be the death of the firstborn. God provided them with a way to make sure that the firstborn of the children of Israel were not impacted by that plague that was about to take place. He told them, and it's found if you want to read it, Exodus chapter 12, verses 5 and 6 are the two verses that I have chosen for this, but the entire chapter actually deals with it. Exodus 12, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Now we know that at that point they were instructed by God to collect the blood from this sacrifice, that they were to take that blood, they were to put it on the side post, the doorpost, and the lintel of their home. Now there is a lot of information in that passage of Scripture dealing with the Passover itself. And you could probably preach a month's worth of messages just out of that one passage alone. But when they did this, they were instructed by God that this lamb had to be very specific. It had to be, as we read in verse number 5, without blemish. It also says that he had to be a male. Okay, now it says a male of the first year. Jesus obviously was not one year old. And we understand that he would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of 32 or 33 years old. But he was that perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb slain, Scripture tells us, before the foundation of the world. If we look at this passage of Scripture, we see also an inspection period that God instituted for this lamb. This lamb was to be chosen on the 10th day of the month. It was to be set aside and to be watched very closely. What they were looking for was any sign of injury, damage, defect, any kind of problem at all that would disqualify that animal from being the sacrifice. From the point that Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem, he is under constant scrutiny from the people that are around him. It's amazing to me that as we think about Jewish tradition, the tradition was, or at least I read this at some point along the way many years ago, was that the lamb had to be inspected a particular number of times, not just a particular number of days. And as we look at this passage of Scripture and we think about Jesus being that perfect lamb, being that perfect sacrifice for you and I, he would have been inspected. He was constantly watched. It is my opinion that the Apostle Paul was instructed by those that were his superiors to follow Jesus. We see that the Apostle Paul becomes an apostle out of due time. 
How could he have done that? He had to have witnessed in order to be an, an apostle, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a true apostle, he had to have witnessed the entire ministry of Jesus Christ. How could he have done that? He did so, he had witnessed it, but from the view or vantage point of an enemy. He watched everything that took place. Why? He was looking for a reason to accuse Jesus Christ. From the moment that Jesus comes to the final week of his life, he's under constant scrutiny. There are three passages of Scripture, all found in the Gospel of John, that have an interesting saying. And all three of them have the exact same phrase with just a few minor variations. The first one is found in John chapter 18, verse number 38. The Bible says, Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find no fault, I find in him no fault at all. Jesus had been inspected. He had been questioned. He had been interrogated, if you will. Jesus proved to Pilate that there was no sin in his life. This is not the only time that he has said this. This is said about Jesus. John chapter 19, again, the uh, Pilate speeding, speaking in verse number 4. John 19, verse 4, Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth unto you, bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Why is this so important? It is important because if Jesus Christ was not the perfect sinless Son of God, He could never pay for our sins. He could never be the sacrifice that you and I needed. You see, we, we don't have the ability this morning to pay for our own sin debt. There are folks that I know that, that to be honest with you, I wish I could do something on their behalf. But I can't. No matter how much I love them, I can't make a sacrifice on their behalf to get them to heaven. Jesus already did that. But this is not the last time. John chapter 19, verse 6. When the chief priests, therefore, and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. You know, it's all, it's always said that the, the Romans are the ones that crucified Jesus. According to this passage of Scripture, no, they did not. The Romans might have been the ones that carried out the physical act, but it was the Jewish people that decided to crucify Jesus that day. But you know, there's one more. One that's really telling, and it's not phrased exactly the same, but it's from a point of view that can't be gainsaid, if you will. It can't be argued against. And it's found in Mark chapter 15, verse number 39. The Bible says this, And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. This centurion, I've often wondered, is this the same centurion that Jesus healed his, I think it was his daughter, if I remember correctly? Is this the same centurion that Jesus had already interacted with? We really don't know. Scripture doesn't say. But the interesting thing is, this man stood at the very foot of the cross and saw everything that took place that day, 
and said, there's something different about this guy. He's taking this different than any of the others ever have. I am quite certain that Jesus was not the first person this centurion had ever crucified. And as he saw this this day, he knew there was something different about Jesus. He might not have been able to put into words what that difference was. But that difference for you and I this morning is because Jesus is perfect. When Jesus was on the cross, he did not lash out at those that wanted to crucify him. He could very well, we've all heard the old song, he could have called 10,000 angels. Jesus could have delivered himself from that, but yet he did not. Why? Because he was perfect. He knew it was God's plan, and he knew that he couldn't sidetrack that plan. Jesus Christ is the perfect Son of God. You and I this morning, we do everything that we can in our life to try to live a good moral life. And we should. I'm not saying don't. Please understand that. We should live a good moral life. But we will never be perfect. We will never be like Jesus. We, we have in our life, we have heroes. The world calls them idols. I hate that phrase. I, I don't have idols. I have heroes. Heroes of the faith, most often. And these are folks that we can look at. We can look at their life and we can say, that's somebody that I want to be like. You ask a child many times, you say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I want to be like daddy. I want to be like mommy. We need to be like somebody. There is no better example than the perfect son of God. The other, one of the other aspects of the world's view of Jesus is, that, well, I, I call it the wimpy Jesus. Jesus was not a wimp by any stretch of the imagination. To go through what he went through, Jesus was a different individual. Preacher mentioned the other night the concept of what meekness is. And he used a phrase that I've heard many times through the years, and I love it. It's one of the best descriptions of what meekness really is. Strength under control. You think of, a, of an image of a, a, a man... Let's use, let's use a, a worldly example for just a moment. And, and a guy that I wouldn't want to meet in a dark alley, uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. We all know who he is. Dude's absolutely massive. You picture him as he interacts with children. You see it pretty often, to be honest. He's not this big buff dude that's trying to harm a child. Why? He knows he's got the strength to do so if he wanted to. But he knows that strength needs to be under control. And when he deals with the individuals in the world, the children in particular, he knows he has to rein that strength in. That's Jesus as he walked in this world. We mentioned just a moment ago that if Jesus had wanted to, he could have undone everything at the cross. But he didn't. That is strength under control. That's the meekness of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 28, verse number 18, this phrase comes at the end of Jesus' ministry, but it is not the beginning of the proof of it. This phrase, Matthew 28, 18, the Bible says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. 
You see, Jesus is not just all-powerful in eternity. Jesus was all-powerful as He walked this world. He's all-powerful in this world today. He can do anything in our life and through our life. And I'm thankful that He can. As we look at this this morning, how do you prove power in the life of an individual? Most often, it's by the actions that they perform. We read through Scripture. We read Luke chapter 7, verse number 22. The Bible says, Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way, and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and to the poor the gospel is preached. Jesus was summing up His ministry to encourage John that, yes, I am the one that you've been looking for. And as we look at this, even this verse in Luke 7, this is not the end all of everything that Jesus did. Think of the miracles that Jesus performed. The first miracle mentioned or recorded in Scripture is the turning of water to wine. There's a lot of arguments over the wine, but that's a message or a lesson for a different day. But think about that. Nobody had ever done that before. Nobody had ever taking taking something I, I don't know about you guys but if suddenly this bottle of water right here turned red that would catch my attention to be quite honest with you right. nobody's ever done that before or since that is the ultimate power of Jesus being able to take something that is in most cases flavorless and everywhere and yet change it into something that is unique. Even, even when compared to what Jesus turned it into, it was unique in its own way. They said at the, at the wedding, everybody always saves the, the, the worst for last. And here you are, you've got the very best wine that's ever been made, and you've saved it to the end. You're an idiot. You know, that was the essence behind it. And as we think about this, this is the way that Jesus worked. Jesus never did anything halfway, first of all. What about the feeding of the 3,000 or the 5,000? These are proof of what Jesus can do, the power of the Son of God. I, I don't know about you, but I have sat down to a lot of meals, and when the meal was done, I was looking for more. And the problem is it didn't just replicate itself on the plate. But yet Jesus takes just a handful of fish and bread and feeds 3,000 or 5,000 people with it. And as if that's not enough, He created enough so that it could be leftovers. One of the passages of Scripture says that there were 12 baskets full of leftovers. Rita and I, we had a, a preacher that we went to listen to one time, and he, uh, he mentioned those 12 baskets. He said, did you ever consider the simple fact that there were 12 disciples at the time? I'm like, you know, I hadn't really thought about it up until that point. Well, there's their lunch for the next day or two. That's the power of the Son of God. We look at Scripture, we see Him do things that nobody else has ever done. Walking on water. Yes, we know that He, he enabled Peter to be able to leave that ship and to come to Him. But you know something, prior to that, nobody had ever done that before. 
We read in the Luke chapter 7 passage about the raising of the dead. You say, why don't you focus on that? Because that had been done before. Go back to the Old Testament. Begin to look at the, the young man that was cast into the grave of the prophet. And when, he, when his dead body touched the bones of the prophet, he came back to life. That had been done before. That's not that big a deal, <laughs> says me. <laughs> but to me, the one miracle in Scripture that really sums up the power of Jesus Christ is a passage found in John chapter 9. John chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, And when he had, said, when he had thus spoken... He spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. What an amazing passage of Scripture. Every time I read that, I get one thought and one thought only. That is the creative power of Jesus Christ. We read in Scripture, we go back to the book of Genesis, we read the first few chapters, and we see how God created everything. And the Bible says that God took the dust of the earth and formed man. And I've always had this mental image of God as He molded that clay into the shape of a human being. And then He breathed into it the breath of life. And Scripture says He became a living soul, a living being. You know, it's so interesting to think of Jesus as He made that clay that day and then wiped it on the eyes of this blind man. If you read down in that passage of Scripture, down to verse number 32, the Bible says this, Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? What a difference. What a difference, the power of Jesus Christ to remake eyes that never worked, to take clay and to fashion them into something that this man's life would be changed by. That's the power of Jesus Christ. You know, I mentioned that we couldn't focus too much on the resurrection of the dead, but there is one exception to that. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ Himself. We read through Scripture in John chapter 10 and verse number 18. The Bible says, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. There had never been anybody that got up under their own power from being dead. You know, I, I, I see these videos that are on TV about an individual that died or on the Internet, an individual that died and quote-unquote comes back to life. And I am extremely skeptical. Not saying it didn't happen, but did he see what he thought he saw? And let's start with that. But in most of these instances, these are not individuals that got up under their own power. These are individuals that had died that medical technology brought them back from the dead. Guys, Jesus isn't like that. Jesus is powerful enough to get up on His own. I, I, don't, know, I don't know about you guys, but I, I sometimes feel like I die every night. You know what I mean? You lay down, you, and if it weren't for the alarm, I'd probably sleep forever. 
I've got an alarm that'll scare the guts right out of you. Oh my goodness. I'm glad it does too, because otherwise I ain't getting up. It's that simple. Jesus didn't need an alarm clock. He didn't need somebody to tell Him when the three days were up. He knew when it was up. He knew it was time to get up from the grave. That's the power of the Son of God. There's nobody like Him. You know, I'm thankful this morning that I don't serve a weak Jesus. This mamby-pamby kind of guy. I'm glad I don't serve Him. I'm glad that I serve a Jesus that has the ability to know what's going to happen in my future, and though He doesn't tell me about it, He's still in control of it. You know, I, I talk to some of you folks before church sometimes, and I, and I understand, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Had we known what God had in store for our lives, man, I tell you what, we, we couldn't imagine. I... I when I was an unsaved man in the Navy, I couldn't imagine what it would be like today. But he did. He knew. He understood, and he had the power to change my life. It's not just his life that he changed. It's not just his life that he took back. He changes us. That's the wonderful thing about having a powerful Jesus. It's not just perfect. He's not, just, he's not just perfect. He's not just powerful. But I'm thankful this morning that He's also pardoning. Mark chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. The Bible says, And they came unto Him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. I love this story, and there's a great song written about it. And when they could not come nigh unto Him for the press, they uncovered the roof where He was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. The forgiving power of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness, the ability to pardon anything that we've ever done. This is the Jesus that we all love. I don't know about you, but there have been a lot of things in my life that I've done both before and after I accepted Christ. And without the pardon, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, I couldn't stand before you today and teach this lesson. Because that pardon is what allows me to know that He is different. He's the real Jesus. He's the Jesus that you and I need to be so intimately aware of. So so in love with that we can't pass Him up. We need to remember what we used to be. You know, there are things that many of us do before we get saved. And some of those stupid things that we do, we carry with us the rest of our life. I spent six years in the Navy, and while I was there, I thought it was a grand idea to get a tattoo. One wasn't enough. I had to have two. You know, I carry those with me. And I've had people ask me, Preacher, why don't you just get them removed? Because I want them to stay there because I want to remember what I was. I want to remember what I was and what Jesus has made me by His forgiveness. It is by the grace of God I am what I am today. He is the only one that can truly forgive our sins. 
we read this passage of Scripture here in Mark chapter 2, and we hear instantly beyond these verses, we instantly hear those begin to say, how can you forgive this man? There's only one that can forgive sin. You see, that's the key. Jesus Christ is God. He's not just the Son of God. He is God. And He has the ability to forgive sin. We read in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 down through 48, and I'm not going to read all of it. In verse number 48, the Bible says, And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. This woman had come into the room, and she brings with her this expensive box full of a priceless ointment. And she begins to anoint Jesus. And those that are sitting there, they, they have the same problem that you and I have, very short-sighted. If he knew who this woman was, he, there's no way he would let her touch him. The story goes that she was a harlot. That she was impure. But she discovered something that they probably never really discovered. Forgiveness. She learned what it was that day to become a new creature. To be changed. To be different. You see, only the real Jesus can make a difference like this in our life. And the problem with so many people today that profess Christianity is the simple fact that the Jesus that they know is not the same Jesus that you and I know. It's not the same Jesus that we've described here this morning. You see, they want a Jesus that's not going to impact their sin. They want a Jesus that's not going to correct them or tell them that they're wrong. They want a Jesus that's going to be okay with it. There's a commercial that's on TV right now and Every time I see it, it just makes me want to throw something through the screen, to be quite honest with you. Jesus was okay with it. No, Jesus was not okay with it. Jesus is not okay with our sin. He's perfect. He's sinless. But guys, He's willing to pardon. And all we've got to do is to come to Him and say, Lord, I am so sorry. Lord, I've made a mess out of my life. And I'm not talking about just an unsaved person. Every time I have a bad thought, every time I... This may come as a shock, but you know something? My wife and I, we argue sometimes. Say it ain't so, right? Preacher, what are you saying? Yeah, I'm human. And every time we have an argument, every time I get into a disagreement with somebody, I have to come back to the Lord and say, Lord, I messed up. Lord, I know you forgave me. Would you forgive me again? I'm not asking to be saved again. I'm just asking that God would forgive me of that particular instance so that I could once again walk in the same fellowship that I had with Him before. You see, Jesus is different. He's the real Jesus. Don't get so fixated on what the world is trying to tell you that Jesus is like because they have no idea. Most of the movies that have been made have been made by people that would not know Jesus if he sat down next to them on the subway. Guys, we, we serve a Jesus that is remarkably different than anything the world wants to think. He's perfect. He's pardoning. And yes, I forgot one of them. That's okay. The notes are there. But you know something this morning? This is not a surprise either. There's a fourth one that I want to throw in here this morning. Jesus is planned. He was planned before the foundation of the world. Your sin did not take God by surprise. 
God didn't have to rush around to come up with a plan to save you. It's the same plan that's saved everybody since the day that he came into this world. The people in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to what Jesus would do. You and I look back on what he's already done. This is already all planned out. God already knows. God already knew what you would need. I mentioned uh, last week a song written by the Crows, uh, Philip and Diane Crow, called Those Eyes. And I am so thankful that Jesus knew from the moment that He walked into this world, He knew that one day there would be a man born by the name of Thomas Wayne Tannis Jr. that would need to be saved. And that He worked all that out before I ever came into existence. This morning, God is not surprised by anything that you've done. You may have blown it this week, or think you have. You may have messed up so bad that you think you'll never get your testimony back. But God still, through Jesus Christ, has the ability to change your life. That's the real Jesus. Don't accept anything less. This world is big on knockoffs. You go online, you can find a fake Rolex, and you can buy it for a tenth of the price. But there ain't nothing like the real thing. Why do you think it's so expensive? Guys, when I think about Jesus, I don't want anything less. I don't want the knockoff. I don't want the imitation. I want the real deal. I want the real Jesus this morning. And I need Him in my life every day. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads as the piano begins to play. You say, preacher, this is a weird lesson. Yes, Jesus is a weird individual. He's strange. He's different than anything the world would ever want you to think. Don't accept anything less than the real Jesus this morning. Please, whatever you do, don't accept second best. God loves you. Before you got saved, God loved you enough to send a son to die. After you got saved, God loved you enough to send His Son to die. He's still paying for sins today. There are people that will accept Jesus Christ in churches around the world today, and it's the same blood that was shed that's going to pay for it. That's the real Jesus. Are you in the room this morning, and maybe, maybe you've kind of gotten a little bit sidetracked and you've not thought much about the real Jesus? Would you raise your hand with me this morning and say, Preacher, just pray for me that I'll get my eyes on the real Jesus. Would you do that this morning? Amen. Hands around the room, I thank you for your honesty. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for those that were honest enough to raise their hand, Lord, as I often need to. Lord, sometimes I do get my eyes off of the real Jesus and I think you're okay with things. Lord, I ask you, Father, to forgive us. Teach us your will. I ask you for the service this morning that our pastor would have the message that we stand in need of. Give us the grace this morning that would give us the ability to get through this coming week. Father, if there's one that will walk into this room this morning that does not know you, Lord, I ask you, Father, that you would save their soul. Draw them to yourself. 
reveal to them the real Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. We're dismissed this morning.